Welcome to Insurance Made Simple. I'm your host, Peter Vitale, and this is episode number three. This episode is going to be one of the more important episodes, and it's the one where we really have to talk about the truth and honesty of what's going on and how to be more truthful and why it's important to you as an insurance consumer to be the most truthful possible when filling out an application for insurance. I can't understate this enough, guys. I can't understate it enough that this is extremely important. And a lot of times this is done not maliciously or even intentionally, but, you know, I jotted down before recording this, you know, some of the the interesting things I've heard from clients over the years, you know, when I ask very simple, in my mind anyways, they're very simple questions like, in the house you live, do you own the house? And a lot of people say yes. And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more or uh, I'll go and I'll pull the property deed to make sure that, you know, everything is 100% accurate and the client does own the house. And I'll find out that it's owned in the client's parents' name or a trust or an LLC. And they say, yeah, yeah, but I own the LLC, Peter. He said, yeah, but as a practical matter and as a matter of law, you don't own the house, the LLC owns the house, or you don't own the house, the trust owns the house, or you don't own the house, your mom and dad own the house, or in some cases I've seen where a deceased parent owns the house still, and it was never properly transferred you know, to the child um, through a probate court. And remember, insurance is a legal contract. This is not, you know, on an insurance application, if they ask you if you own the house, they're not thinking of these other things that that maybe, you know, might be in your mind. They're thinking, do you, yourself, the person signing the application, hold legal title to the property? And it's a yes or no question. You either do, and it's titled in your individual name, or you don't, and it's titled in someone else's name, a business entity's name, a trust, or some other combination. And When you do not answer the questions honestly on an application, you get into big trouble. And what can happen with this big trouble? Well, it's easy. The policy can be completely rescinded. It could be tomorrow. It could be five years from now after a huge claim happens. And I did some digging and write, let me give my, you know, typical disclaimer here. I'm not a lawyer. Um, This is not legal advice, but I did some researching around and said, you know, how can a policy be rescinded for material misrepresentation? And material misrepresentation simply means you were not honest on the policy application. And what can happen? Well, in a number of states, you know, in California, which is, you know, generally a very consumer-friendly state in terms of the uh, laws and regulations, in California, they don't require that the insurance company relied on the statement you made for them to be able to rescind the policy. So, for instance, they could ask, are you a smoker or not a smoker on the application? You say, I'm not a smoker, but let's say you were, and this is a homeowner's insurance application. They don't have to say, well, we wouldn't have issued the policy to Peter if he wasn't a smoker. They don't have to have relied on the fact that you were not truthful about. They don't have to have relied on it to issue the policy. You just simply had to lie. And they can say, we're refunding you all the premium you ever paid. This policy no longer exists. And in fact, it never existed because we are voiding the policy all the way back to inception. Ab initio means from the beginning, as if it never 
ever existed. So California is like that. Look, in Georgia, when a policy so provides, material misrepresentation alone is sufficient to void the policy. Nothing else. Just material misrepresentation alone is enough to void the policy. In Illinois, no proof or fraud or Determinational uh, reliance was required. Instead, the insurer had to show plaintiff misrepresented or concealed a material fact to avoid the policy. That's it. They just have to prove that you lied on the policy application, and that's it. In Nebraska, there's a common law right to rescind or avoid insurance policies for material misrepresentations. Um, let's get to Michigan. Let's see what we have for Michigan. Michigan, rescission is justified without regard to the intentional nature of the misrepresentation, so long as it was relied upon by the insurer. It doesn't matter if it was intentional or not. You could have just made a slip up and forgot something. It doesn't matter if it was intentional or not. But this is the way the laws are written, and this is the way the laws are construed by the courts. And I want to talk a lot about Michigan, and I know I probably have some listeners in some other states, and thanks for listening. And, you know, I, I'm going to post links to the uh, the documentation that I used in preparing for today's podcast uh, in the podcast description. But I want to focus a little bit on Michigan because that's, you know, I'm a licensed insurance agent in Michigan. Um, and by the way, if you live in Michigan and you want to get a quote on your personal uh, insurance policies, there's a link in the uh, podcast information on how to do that. And don't forget to please like and subscribe to the podcast as well. I appreciate all of you who are uh, listening to this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I want to spend some time thinking about Michigan and really analyzing um, some Michigan information. And there's a big Supreme Court decision in Michigan. It's the Bazzi decision, B-A-Z-Z-I. And um, one of the key components here is, in general, fraud in the inducement to enter a contract renders the contract voidable at the option of the defrauded party. So let's just break that down. In general, if you lie on a policy application, and that enters, uh, you and the insurance company enter that policy contract, that whole contract's voidable at the option of the defrauded party, which would be the insurance company here. You lied, they get to pick, do we want to keep this policy, do we not? My guess is if there's a big claim, they're not going to want to, right? Insurance companies are in the business of making money, not paying out claims they're not legally uh, liable for. So uh, it continues, accordingly, an insurance policy procured by fraud may be declared void ab initio, remember that means from the beginning, at the option of the insurer, with the effect being that the contract is considered never to have existed. This is what the Supreme Court in Michigan has said. In general, fraud in the inducement to enter a contract renders the contract voidable at the option of the defrauded party. If you lied, that's it. Game over. So if a client ever I can sense is not being truthful with me, I'm, I'm a pretty honest guy and I'm pretty direct and upfront. I'll just ask him, listen, what's the point of paying money for insurance if it isn't going to cover you? That doesn't make sense. We don't want to do that. Let's do this the right way. It may cost you a few dollars more, and I understand that, but let's do it the right way so at least there's coverage if something happens. If not, you're just flushing your money down the toilet. It doesn't make sense to do this, guys. We need to be honest. We can't give the insurance companies a reason to back out of coverage. You're paying for coverage. You want to be covered. You don't want to screw around. And the reason I bring this up is because the next 
case I'm going to read from, which is a very interesting case. Um, it's a Michigan Court of Appeals case called Stephen Council, and it's versus Allstate uh, Vehicle and Property Insurance Company, as well as the uh, Allstate Insurance agent uh, who wrote the policy. And this is a particularly interesting case, and this is in my mind, we have two paths that we go down. We have people who are intentionally lying just to do whatever it takes to get the cheapest policy, and they don't care if they're covered or not covered. The second group is the group who is probably 95% of the population that isn't reading the documents that they sign thoroughly enough. And that is, in fact, in this Stephen Council v. Allstate case, exactly what happened. And this is relatively recent. Um, this is an unpublished Court of Appeals opinion from February 18, 2021. And this, guys, this is big. Because what you're going to hear, what I read in a minute to you, you're going to find absolutely crazy. And that is that it doesn't matter if the client didn't even give the insurance agent the information that's on the application, it's the client's responsibility to read the information and not to sign it unless it's accurate. So I'm going to read you some kind of the background here, uh, the factual background of the case in this uh, Court of Appeals opinion. In March of 2014, the plaintiff, which is the client here, paid $10,000 cash to purchase a new home in Flint, Michigan. On March 8, 2017, plaintiff went to the Allstate Insurance Agency and consulted with an agent to obtain an insurance policy. The plaintiff recalled that the agent asked him typical questions to fill out the application for insurance, but the completed application contained several inaccurate statements. Most specifically, the application listed the purchase price and current market value of the home at $75,000. Now remember, a minute ago I said, he purchased the house, the plaintiff purchased the house for $10,000 cash. So the application for insurance said it was, he paid $75,000 for it. Now, he doesn't really, as this case goes on, the plaintiff doesn't really remember how he, the insurance agent even got this information. He's clueless as to where this came from, but it doesn't matter. Um, and that's the most interesting part because on the document, the insurance policy document, this is what the language is. And I'm going to read this, and it's a little long, but I'm going to read it because it's important. It says, to the best of my knowledge, the statements made on this application, including any attachments, are true. I request the company, in reliance on these statements, to issue the insurance applied for. The company may recompute the premium shown if the statements made herein are not true. In the event of any misrepresentation or concealment made by me with my knowledge in connection with this application, the company may deem this binder and any policy issued pursuant to this application void from its inception. This means that the company will not be liable for any claims or damages which would have otherwise been covered. So this guy, Mr. Stephen Council, signed that document. And on that document, it said that he paid for, and the current market value of that house was seventy-five grand. And guess what? It wasn't because he paid ten grand for it. And you may be thinking now, Peter, how are they ever going to know? How does this even come out, guys? Again, insurance companies are very particular, and they're only going to pay claims they're legally liable to pay. They're not in the business of paying claims that they're not legally liable for. And we can 
say, you know, that sounds like a scam or whatever, I, you know, this is the law. These are courts of law are upholding it. Legislatures in the states and the federal government, well, in the states, because that's where insurance is regulated, are making laws that say this. So this isn't a scam. This is the law. We're a society of laws. We follow the law. If we have a dispute, we go to court. And guess what? Mr. Counsel went to court and he lost because he signed a clear document. And so that's exactly my point in this. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. You have to read the document. You need to be doing business with an insurance professional who you know is ethical and honest and isn't going to mislead you. You should also read the documents even if you're dealing with the most ethical and honest person. Absolutely. But you know, if you notice an inconsistency on the policy application, my guess is that unfortunately in this insurance industry – that here's what's going to happen. You're going to call the agent. You're going to say, hey, Mr. Agent, this is not exactly right. You know, my house is, you know, 2,300 square feet, not 1,800, you know, correct it. And they're going to say, oh, Mr. Client, you know, that doesn't really matter. It's not even used anymore. It's just, it's on the application. We just put it there. But, you know, don't worry about it. That's the biggest mistake. That is someone who's lazy and doesn't want to do their job properly. And they're putting you and your family in jeopardy, and you should not do business with them. If you still want to do business with them, what I would argue is the most prudent thing you can do at this point, but still probably isn't going to help you uh, as much as having it done the right way, is get them to put that in writing. You know, if the agent is telling you something and they believe it to be true and they it really doesn't matter and the company's never going to deny a claim about this, say, great, Mr. Agent, do me a favor. Just put that in an email and send it to me, and then you've got it. And then at the end of the day, if the insurance company does deny you coverage, you at least have a cause of action against the agent. The agent told me X. Here it is in writing. I have it. He sent me an email. There it is. My guess is that the agent, if they're you know just being lazy and, and don't want to change the application, they're not going to put that in writing and tell you it doesn't matter because one, they don't know because they're not a claims adjuster and they're not a lawyer for the insurance company. They're an insurance agent. Uh, and two, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I got to put this in writing now. There's a paper trail. I got to be extra careful. You know, maybe it'll be easier just to actually put what's right on the application. And that's what you want anyway. So either way, you get what you want. Now, if they won't put it in writing, then red flags, red flags say, you know, I think I'm going to go buy my insurance somewhere else because something definitely seems off here. You know, you've got to you know, sadly, be on the lookout for these kind of problems because you're paying a lot of money for insurance. Why have the insurance if it isn't going to cover the loss? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So you've got to cross your T's and dot your I's. And listen, I don't have anything against, you know, the direct-to-consumer insurance uh, companies, right? I'm an insurance agent. I get paid by policies that I sell. There are companies that operate call centers, you know, in the country, and they have, you know, whoever there making money selling policies for an hourly wage at a call center. And a lot of those people are really good insurance professionals, no doubt. But you're never going to talk to them again after you buy a policy from them because if you need service, you just call an 800 number. So what I'm telling you here is you want to deal with someone who – when your house burns down or you get into an accident and someone in your family is injured, that you can go back to that person and say, Peter, you told me this was covered. What the heck is going on? Why is the insurance company giving me a hard time? 
You want someone that you can either look in the eye or someone who's going to answer your phone call every time you call and is going to tell you and assist you through the process. You're going to want someone who's giving you honest advice from the beginning, not doing anything sketchy. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, unfortunately, in this case, you know, Mr. Council, who bought the house for 10000 bucks, I was talking about a few minutes ago, you know, the Michigan Court of Appeals really says the agent didn't do anything wrong. And... They don't say that he did everything right either, so I guess I'll, I'll read this part of the Court of Appeals opinion because I think it's, I think it's pretty telling. Uh, the plaintiff alleges here that the agent made the material misrepresentation in the policy and the plaintiff did not read the application. So the agent made the 75 grand up, plaintiff didn't read it, Mr. Counsel didn't read it, so that's their argument. However, the plaintiff signed an authorization stating that he had read the answers in the application and that the information was true. Further, uh, he initialed on the page of which the incorrect uh, price uh, for the home was listed, and he signed the document. So, therefore, the question of who came up with the misstatements was not a genuine issue of material fact because regardless, it was the plaintiff, Mr. Counsel, who was responsible for the misrepresentations when he was given an opportunity to read the application and authorized that it was true and accurate. That's it. Game over. He was given the chance to read it. He signed it. And the information was inaccurate. It doesn't matter who made it up. He could have said it was 75 grand. The agent could have just pulled it out of thin air. It doesn't matter because he was responsible for the misrepresentation when he was given an opportunity to read the application and authorize that it was true and accurate. That's it. It's over. This guy does not get paid for his house that burnt down. And that's what happened in this case. He was the policy's void. He No payment. He got his money back that he paid for it, but what good is that? That's not going to replace the whole house. So, you know, I'll, I'll read one more part from this uh, case, and it says, it's well established that the failure to read an agreement is not a valid defense to the enforcement of a contract. It's well established. I mean, that's what the court says. It's well established that a failure to read an agreement is not a valid defense to a contract. A contracting party has a duty to examine a contract and to know what the party has signed and what the other contracting party cannot be made to suffer for neglect of that duty. Regardless of who actually completed the application, plaintiff signed the authorization, attesting to the completeness and truth of the answers after the application was completed. So, what you're probably asking yourself right now, or at least you should be asking yourself, and if you're not, right now I'm going to tell you, is what the heck was on my policy application, and was it all right? Because if not, I could have a huge problem. And so, you know, this case involved uh, Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company in Michigan. So I went on to the Michigan Department of Insurance and Financial Services uh, website where Allstate has to file their policy application document um, with the Department of uh, Insurance and they have to approve it. And there's a number of things on here. So I'm just looking at page one, mortgagee and third-party information. So if you have a mortgage and you don't disclose that, could the policy be void? Perhaps. You know, children and household, none, one, two, three, number of residents in the household, including children. Years at current address, five. I don't know why it says five on this blank application, but maybe that's what they say for everybody. I don't know. Does anyone in the household smoke? 
are either applicant eligible for the Good Hands program? Do you even know what the Good Hands program is? I don't know what the Good Hands program is. What could that be? I mean, maybe you are, maybe you're not. I mean, it's kind of a vague and ambiguous question. So I don't know. Maybe you put no and maybe you are. I don't know. Seems to me that there's a lot. I don't want to be too skeptical and say this is a trap. But what I will say is make sure you read it, you understand it, and you know your answers. You know, on here, feet to fire hydrant. You know, I don't know. If I'm signing this application and it's my house and I'm not really sure how many feet to the fire hydrant, maybe I'm going to take a look now. I don't know. Um, Insurance companies generally get this information from a third party and have it, you know, filled on the application. But knowing what I know today after – you know, reading this information, you know, again, from the Bozzi case, I'm going to read it again. In general, fraud in the inducement to enter a contract renders the contract voidable at the option of the defrauded party. So am I going to take the chance of putting the wrong information on this policy application? No, I'm not. I'm going to make sure it's 100% right. And that's what I would do. And that's what you should do because if you don't, you could very well not have coverage. You know, here's some other information. Uh, estimated replacement cost. Uh, deductibles. I mean, you can't really get that wrong. It is what it is, you know, pending you got what the deductible the agent told you you got. You know, month and year dwelling was purchased. And here we go. Purchase price. How much is the purchase price? That's important. We know that's important from Mr. Stephen Council's case in Flint, Michigan. It's extremely important. Current market value. Original owner. I guess that means, you know, did you, are you, you know, buy the house in 2010 when the house was built? I guess I'm the year, the original owner. Year roof was replaced. That's interesting. Is that accurate? I mean, that can make a big deal, I, I guess, you know. So are you estimating, yeah, maybe it was 10 years ago, but maybe it was 20 years ago, or maybe it was two years ago. You say, yeah, about two years ago, but it was six years ago. You have to be accurate in these answers. It is important because, again, this is the policy application I'm reading from. Okay, that had a whole policy denied because the information wasn't accurate. Let's look at some other interesting questions on here. Does the insured have an alternative or supplemental heating source, including fireplace? I mean, does that mean at the time of signing the application, I was using a space heater because it was the middle of winter and my bedroom upstairs doesn't get warm enough? It's important. It's an important question to answer. You know, is the dwelling on a solid and continuous foundation? I mean, I assume that's yes, but it's also interesting here on this particular policy application. It asks um, number of vehicles that are in your household. How many cars do you have in your household? That matters apparently for home insurance. Max of years with prior slash current auto carrier. How long have you had currently had auto insurance? I mean, This kind of feels like a setup to get you to answer incorrectly because then what happens if you answer incorrectly? They can void the policy potentially. I mean, this is important. Uh, You know, how many major violations has the applicant or co-applicant had in the last three years? This, I mean, this is an application for home insurance. They're asking a lot of questions about automobiles on here. How many not-at-fault accidents have the applicant and co-applicant had in the last five years? I mean, apparently this is interesting to Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company. They want to insure your house. They want to know a lot about your car history. I don't know why that's relevant. It is apparently. So that's interesting, but make sure you're answering it correctly. That's what your job is here. Answer the information correctly. I cannot overstate this. This is important. Answer it a hundred 
100% correct. Because if not, you could be in a situation where you don't have coverage and you think you do. And the insurance company is going to say, hey, sorry, Mr. Client, you don't have coverage. We voided it from inception. Here's a check for all the premium you gave us back. The policy never existed in the first place. Who in the hell knew they could even do that? They can. They do. The courts uphold it because that's the law. We're a society of laws. So, you know, I don't want to sound crass, but if you don't like it, I mean, write your representative and let's get the laws changed. But unfortunately, this is what we have to work with here for now. So I'm going to go back now to right where I started, which is a lot of questions that I've gotten answered from clients over the years that are just nonsensical when you really think about the question being asked. Where do you live? Well, my driver's license says I live in, you know, this house in Hazel Park, but, uh, you know, I'm usually at my house in Detroit. I've got three houses. Okay. Stop. Wait a second. Hazel Park isn't that far from Detroit. What's going on? You're just trying. Don't screw around to try and lie because it isn't going to help. You're going to end up wasting your money. It doesn't make sense. Where do you live? Where are you at most nights? Sure, some people may have two houses where, you know, they've got a job and they travel and sometimes they're on the west side of the state, some side they're on the east side of the state. Those are exceedingly rare in my honest opinion. So let's just be honest um, with what's going on. You know, I'll ask people, do you own the house? They'll tell me it's a family house. What the hell does that mean, a family house? I mean, anytime that two people are related that live together, that's a family house technically. What is a family house? What does that mean? Do you own the house? My name is Peter. Is my name on the deed of the house? Yes or no? doesn't matter if it's a family house, a non-family house, a family-friendly house, a non-family friendly. What does this mean? A family house. I don't know what that means. That's a good way to get your policy application voided, okay? I talked about this at the beginning. A dead parent or family member is still the deeded owner of the house, never properly went through probate. That's a disaster waiting to happen because you might live there and no one might kick you out, but you don't own the house. Your name is not on the deed. You don't own the house. Um, you know, I have an LLC that I own that's the owner of the house. Again, they're, you're not the owner. The LLC is the deeded owner of the house. You are not the owner. Um, you know, I ask people, do you own your, you know, are you the legal owner of this car? Yeah. And then 20 minutes later, they'll tell me, well, the car is registered to my girlfriend. Well, hang on. You just told me that the car, you're the owner. Well, I make the car payments. Okay. Making the car payments doesn't make you the owner of the car. So you've got to be thinking about these questions. Don't think about what your situation is. Think about the question. Are you the legal owner of this car? It's a yes or no. There's no ambiguity about it. You either own it, your name's on the title of the car, or you don't. There's no two ways about it, guys. You've got to be honest. You've got to, and I'm not saying you're being dishonest in this, but you're not thinking about this from the clear, precise language on this policy application, okay? Are there other occupants in the house, they may ask. And you may not be thinking about, you know, my three-year-old daughter. You know, it doesn't matter if I have a three-year-old daughter. She's not going to drive the car. But that's not what the question on the application says. It says, are there any other occupants of your household? You've got to answer it honestly. And if your agent tells you, it doesn't matter, we don't need to list a three-year-old daughter, get that in writing. Hey, Mr. Agent, I like you. You're a nice guy. But do me a favor. I'm just not comfortable with this because the, the application says list all the occupants in the house. So can you just send me an email and say I don't have to list it that way? Because then at least you can sue the agent when your policy gets voided and say, well, he told me this and I have it in writing and I have proof. Now, 
if that's the case, I hope you win the lawsuit. But if you don't have it in writing, it never happens. That's just the way it is. So get it in writing. What the agent tells you versus your actual responsibility are two very different things. Make sure you're reading the documents you sign. E-signature is great because it really helps get things done quick. But it's also people just are clicking sign next, sign next, sign next. And I'm guilty of it in things, you know. I'll go change my cable service. I'm not going to read that whole thing. But you know what? Maybe I should be. But at the end of the day, if I get into a dispute with my cable company, it's no big deal. If you get into a dispute with your insurance company, it's financial devastation. So make sure you're answering correctly. All right. It's been great. This was a fun episode for me to record. And I look forward to talking to you more about insurance coverage. See you soon. Don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs>